Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. And we are so happy you're here. Uh, how are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing very well, Corey. It's Friday, and um, I'm ready for the weekend. New job is busy, busy. I'm in Miami like almost every day, and it is uh, it's a different world down there. <laughs> I'm only an hour outside of Miami, but going down there, it's um, it's a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun, and uh, feels nice to be back in the world, back in an office. Uh, spending time with people, meeting new people, uh, and making some really cool things happen in the city. So, yeah. How are you doing? Um, just got back from vacation yesterday. So uh, the family and I took a little uh, four-day uh, trip across the state for an annual trip. Uh, my son turns four um, on Monday. So that's part of the celebration. And it's a, hey, the summer's here and things are getting back to normal um vacation was okay i actually realized i was telling jamie this before we started taping but um i'm kind of a taskmaster sometimes when it comes to being a dad <laughs> so so for me like i just couldn't relax truly on vacation and i realized i was also pulling from a very empty well of myself like i just i haven't had time to really refresh and reset myself so that carried into vacation by the end of it i was okay but for a while it was a lot of like butting heads with my free-spirited energetic excited son which I'm trying to do better with, but um, that's okay. So, you know, we're, we're all right. He's happy. He's ready to for his birthday and all the celebrations to ensue. So, I love, I, I love his. He's just the cutest kid, and um, I'm Thank sure you. like the, the the enthusiasm that uh, he's got for his birthday. Like I can't even imagine. I I I think I'm gonna have to give you guys a, a personal call. Uh, yes. To, to, to celebrate and on his birthday just to talk to him and <laughs> he'll be very happy to hear that so yeah but you know I uh I'm proud of you for uh your self-awareness and um you know it's it's an it's a new a new weekend <laughs> a new week coming up and I think this podcast and therapy has really given me more self-awareness more than anything else in like the past year. So I'm yeah, for that. agreed. Um, so today we have um, a very exciting guest, our first real formal expert. Uh, as you guys know, uh, or maybe you're listening for the first time, uh, Corey and I are certainly not experts. We just wanted to give a platform for people to share their stories and, um, sure the inspiration that and hope that can come from grief because um, sometimes we can get lost in it and forget that we can uh, get through it and there are a lot of positive things that can come out of tough times. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like to welcome to the podcast Dr. Melissa Mork. Hi. Hi it's, Melissa. It's so Hi. Great Thank to you have for you being here. here. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. I'm excited. Um, it's, it's great because actually one of our previous guests, uh, sent us a video of yours from TikTok talking about you and like kind of some of your story. And they're like, you need to get her on the show. And as it happened, the stars aligned and here we are. So it's yeah. great. I'm very happy. Thank you. Yeah. It's a big TikTok crew. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's a complete time suck for me. I have to admit, I am starting to use it as a reward when I do other things and I let myself go on TikTok for a little bit. And uh, 
my, my children keep telling me I'm way too uh, old to be on TikTok, but I'm proving them wrong. So yeah, no, I love that. And I actually I was thinking about that this morning, um, you know, with this new job that I started, I, I work crazy hours. And um, the one thing that I'm like, you know, somebody was asking me, oh, have you started watching the new season of Bachelorette? And I, all I could think about was like, I don't have time for that. And if I do have time, I want to watch TikToks. <laughs> like I need to catch up on TikToks. And I'm like, I like, I really had that thought this morning. Like, oh, yeah. I like that's like something I really want to do this weekend is just sit with my phone and TikToks yeah, yeah. and you know, and and catch up on on what my friends have been creating and and yeah. what else is out there. So and I, you know, if, if you're too old, then we're too old. And you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I I, I mean. Like if you, you you watch TikTok and there's always these videos of 17 year olds like, you know, talking about, oh, you know, everybody's too old for TikTok. And, and I I strongly disagree. So right. well, and then I, I follow a woman and she's got to be in her 80s or 90s and she has a quivering voice and she's so motivational and her husband is standing there with her nodding along. And I just think, all right, well, then that's the that's the standard I'm comparing myself to so far. Yes. Fine. Right. Absolutely. And I like, honestly, some of those, um, like the grandparent accounts are some of my absolute favorite accounts. They're incredible. They're funny. They're, you know, they're, they're still lively and they actually, yeah, a lot of like very motivational and, and, uh, knowledgeable things to say. So right. <laughs> we're, we're grateful. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> we are grateful for everyone of yeah. our friends on TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, so when, when we saw this video uh, sent to us, you kind of regaled the, the conversation about all these grief experiences in your life. Now, mm -hmm. did those grief experiences lead you to the career you are in right now? Yeah, did you want me to kind of go through what happened um, yeah, and how I arrived here? So please, um, when I was in high school, a good friend of mine um, died by carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, she caused her own death in her car, in her garage while her parents were away on a cruise. And um, then when I was in college, my mother was killed in a car crash and it was a, a shocking loss. You know, when you're in college, you still need your mom for, even, even in, at 50, you still need your mom, but especially in college. And um, it was a violent loss. It was uh, sudden and unexpected. And she was actually killed on my father's birthday. It was his mm. that 65th birthday that day. Oh, and, goodness. Yeah. And so um, he didn't live much past that. He was just devastated. They had that kind of marriage where um, she adored him. And he thought all of her flaws were endearing and charming. And they would hold hands in the car. And I would walk into the kitchen and they would be kissing. They just had that beautiful, wow. precious marital relationship. And so when she was killed, he was lost. And so he and I were walking, or we were driving one day on our way back from uh, my nephew's high school graduation party. And my dad said, if you go on to graduate school, I want you to study grief because I'm tired of people telling me I know what you're going through. He said they can't possibly know what I'm going through because they haven't lost Trudy. They weren't married to your mother and they didn't lose her like this. And so I said, I promise you, Dad, if I do go on to grad school, I'll study grief. He died seven days after that conversation, but I did go forward and for my master's thesis, I studied patterns, processes, and obstacles to bereavement, specifically to the death of a loved one, 
And it was an interesting study. I, I learned so much. Like in the DSM, it says grief should only last about six months. And if you're still grieving after the six month mark, it might be a complicated or traumatic type of grief. And I thought that was a load of BS because you're only yeah, I was gonna say, oh, the DSM. <laughs> yeah, you're only beginning Who wrote to that at six months. And um, and I learned that a better equation might be allow yourself, especially with a, a being widowed allow yourself about one month of active grief for every year of the relationship. So if somebody's been married for 30 years, that's 30 years of active grief where ambushes can come and and it's more than just grieving the anniversaries, but it's it's grieving all of the other losses, the secondary losses that come with it. And so it was a really informative, valuable um, study the this master's thesis that I I completed and then I got my doctorate in clinical psychology and my dissertation was in forensic psychology so I kind of covered three areas that I was really interested in but the bereavement study kept coming back even though I wasn't specializing in it in my clinical practice or in my teaching um I continued to lose people. So a couple of years ago, I was looking at my wedding photo album and I realized of the 16 people in my wedding party, only six are still living. <gasps> so 10 of them, including my, my little um, ring bearer who was three at our wedding, died of an aneurysm in his late twenties. I mean, just really bizarre losses. Um, and then my husband died three years ago from a very aggressive lung cancer. And my children and I, uh, I had two, we had two teens. Um, we started all over again with this grief process. And so um, there's just been a lot of loss, but yeah, it, the initial, the death of my mother is what kind of brought me into the study of bereavement. And then it was the death of my husband that I realized, you know what, there are some things I, could, I should probably share about my own, grief trajectory, but also how I was able, have been able to cope and parent my two grieving children through this process. And we're still in the process. It's only, I mean, it will never end when my children get married without their dad there, when they have their babies without their dad there, when they get their first dream job or whatever, that grief continues to surface and ambush you. So. Absolutely. You'll see, I, I will cry <laughs> at, at, at many points in this and you are welcome to cry as well. Um, <laughs> that is, that is something that we um, encourage here on the, on the podcast is if you are feeling something, feel it. Um, and if I've learned anything in, in, in my, my grief and from the others, you know, that we've spoken to is that it is so important for us to feel things and allow ourselves to feel them when it's happening. Um, because it's hard to fix that later on. <laughs> well, what's interesting is all these things you're saying, and I'm actually, uh, because of this podcast, I've joined a lot of grief support groups on Facebook, just because I'm trying to hear people's stories. I'm trying to, you know, find stories of people. Maybe, maybe I can share something from our podcast with them. And one thing I always see constantly is people saying, you know, um, I'm mad at this person in my family because they said I should be done grieving by now but I'm mm. not, you know, some people it's like, I've been, you know, my life is never going to be the same. You know, this has been a couple of years since I lost this person. My life still sucks, you know? And um, 
I think about my own life and just my response to grief and I, I'm in a better place, even though I've had a lot of loss in my life and everyone's grief story, while we are all unified in grief, we say this a lot. We say, while we all share grief, every experience is different to every single person we encounter. Yeah, absolutely. When, so I, I wrote a book called Navigating Grief with Humor um, and it's available on Amazon. It's a, um, but one of the first questions that. that I, <laughs> one of the first questions I try to answer is, is this normal, what I'm going through? Like I, I, I cry in the canned food section whenever I see cans of sauerkraut and I'm, I'm testy and irritable with the grocery store clerk when they ask paper or plastic. And is this normal? It's all, like it's all normal, no matter how extreme the reaction is, it's normal enough that we have a category for it, right? In the in the study of grief. So yeah, it grief is universal, but how we respond to it is very unique. Absolutely. And to hear that you should be over this by now is such an insult, not just to you, but to the person who's died because their their life is so significant that it's, it has to take time. When when we have um, we bond with a baby for nine months before they're even born, right? Um, and then when they are born, we have this 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 lifetime of bonding with them, and then if something happens, God forbid, and we lose a child, there is that severing again of the, the relationship. And so time is one of the, the miraculous healers, but it, we need a lot of it. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't even imagine saying to somebody like, get over it or that you should be over that. Like that, that's like, I, who has the authority to say that to someone? <laughs> The, another thing, another misnomer, I think that I've heard so often is you need to find closure. You, you, you need, you need closure. And I went, I was speaking at a, I don't know if you can tell by my accent, but I'm clear Minnesotan. I am so Minnesotan. And so I was at, uh, I was, I was teaching, um, I was speaking at a St. Paul Grief Coalition in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this woman came up to me before I was even ready. I, I was a at the podium getting my papers ready people were milling about and getting coffee and muffins and things and this lovely woman came up to me and kind of leaned across the podium towards me and she said our last speaker told us that the goal of grief was to gently close the lid on the casket she said my 13 year old daughter died of a, uh, a rare form of leukemia and the last thing i want to do is close the lid on the casket she said if you say anything so stupid as that or use the word closure or anything so ridiculous, I will personally come up here and slap you across the mouth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh I was like, yeah. got it. Yes, I understand. Like, because cross out, cross Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Black marky, marker across. No, um, the thing is, is that we aren't, the task of grief is not to find closure. Do you want to say goodbye to your mother? Do you want to, do you want to sever that relationship with your mother? No. No. <laughs> you want to find a different way. You, you want to continue to love her and you want to continue to have her parent you. And so the task of grief is to find a different way of loving them and relating to them and relocating them in your life and in your mm. heart in a way that they, in your relationship with them continues and is sustained, even though they're no longer physically present, we want to continue that relationship. And there are ways to do that. Finding closure it is not the goal at all, at all. I 
love this. I love this so much. Um, you know, I, I do think that a lot of people say finding closure in a, they just don't know what else to say. And they've heard it so many times, you know, um, I do think that is part of it. Um, but I'm glad we're having this conversation because it is something to think about in how we respond to other people's grief. Um, but I love this concept of relocating. Um, cause I don't know about you guys, but like with my mother, like in my head, when I see rays of, of sunshine coming through clouds, which, you know, it probably happens several times a day, but the, the fact, like, when am I ever actually really staring at the sky? Right. But in the times that I notice it, I, I, I just, that's my sign. Like, that's what I feel is my sign. And I'm sure that you guys have similar things that, you know, are your signs. And I guess I, you know, I was never sure if that was something that made sense or I, I didn't have a name for it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a, a way of continuing that relationship and feeling like she's, she's present with you and speaking to you and, and continuing to love you, which is what we're desperate for. We're desperate to not let go of that love, those ties and those connections. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting with 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 relocating too because you think about the idea of what closure is. It seems silly because you think about trying to translate the idea of closure, which we use for death, but also with, you know, uh, this person broke up with me. I need closure. You know, that's two separate ideas. I mean, they're both kind of grief, but yeah, um, yeah it's, it's the idea of how can I take the pain I have, how can I take the memory of the person I lost, and preserve it but also find a way to keep existing to, to not find myself, you know, like how, how can I, how can I survive this without giving up everything of every single instance of memory that I have about that person, good or bad. Right. And um, that's a nice segue into something else I wanted to talk about if it's okay. One of, I think one of the best ways, and the reason I wrote the book called Navigating Grief with Humor is that one of the best ways that we can continue that relationship with our loved one after they've died is that we remember them with laughter. We remember the ways that we played together and they brought smiles to our faces and we brought smiles to them or there was levity in the relationship or, or how we would tease each other, all of those things. So when I, okay, um, I didn't have a perfect marriage actually. Uh, after my husband died, I went to I went to marriage counseling. I called the marriage counselor and I was like, I need to, I need to schedule an appointment with you. And he said, What's the presenting problem? And I said, My husband died. And he goes, I, I'm not an expert in grief. And I was like, No, no, I am. I've got that. I'm okay with that part. <laughs> I, I need to figure out how to resolve some of the things that were left unresolved in our marriage. And I need to figure out how sure. to not if I end up getting in an married again not to carry that baggage forward yes. I need some insights into wow. and the thing is is uh in marriage counseling I've noticed that my husband is a much better listener now that uh <laughs> than he was when he was alive um he doesn't interrupt so that's always nice um but in our relationship I have to revisit the hard pieces I have to revisit the the conflicts that we had and my role in them and his role in them and those are hard. And when I'm grieving and I'm revisiting my regret, it is incredibly painful, but, and it's necessary. However, I need to put myself back together and I need to reconnect with him by thinking about ways that we laughed 
and the crazy things that he did and the dumb jokes that he told. And that is when we feel the most connected in life. When you're, when you're dating somebody and you're forging that relationship, you're laughing together and you're playing. It's the same way in death is that as long as, as we're reconnecting with them through laughter and humor and levity and mirth, it's, it's a way of relocating them in our heart and sustaining that relationship forward. Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, that's really true. Um, I, I grew up Jewish uh, and I, I'm, I'm not practicing, but you know, my family it, it does still. And we, uh, we sit Shiva, if you're familiar with that. And, and for those listening, if, you, if you're not familiar, essentially the concept is uh, everybody gets together at the home um, of the deceased or, you know, the closest relatives and it's an open door and all friends and family come and there's lots of food. And basically you spend time just telling stories about all the fun, silly things that you got into with a person. And it is such a, a, a beautiful way to remember the person, celebrate the person and um, kind of get through get through the sadness and of course you, there's tears but it's you know it's it, it lightens the burden on everyone <laughs> yeah. and everybody's together so nobody's alone in their thoughts um, because you know what you bring up about your husband I, I've seen the same things in, in, in my grief as well of um, like I lost an ex-boyfriend and like there were still things that I hung on to that we fought about that like you know even though somebody has passed and like obviously we need to remember the the good things there's also the things that they still you know may have done to us that that were damaging and and that we still need to work through even though they're not here to work through it with us i I was thinking about um kind of you told the story about kind of what what puts you into the study of grief and everything and I'm curious though, when you were going through these early experiences of grief in your life, um, what were you, but before you became kind of, before you understood like a, a more well-informed approach about grief, what was your response to, to grief? How did you process those things? Oh, that's such a great question. I would shut down. I would turn inward. I would lay in my bed and curl in the fetal position and cry. Um, mm. All four of my grandparents had died before I uh, was out of the house. And so those losses were significant. Um, but I didn't, I didn't talk about them. I didn't I came from a big family. I mean, there's eight kids in my family. We were all going through the same grief that nobody talked about. We were a very stoic Dutch family. And mm. if you had, if you're going to cry, go cry alone. Mm. Um, and so there was that kind of attitude of, and it, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I'm uh, solitude is my, is my spiritual discipline. Uh, I, I love being alone. And so I managed my grief alone. And I realized when I was doing my um, grief studies in my master's degree, I realized that's actually not that healthy. I needed to talk it through. I needed to process it. And now when I see clients, I will not see a client unless they are also attending some sort of support group because, and this is why I love that you're doing this podcast is because there is something about that shared narrative, that shared story 
especially being a motherless adult. That's a shared story that is profound and it feels like no one else can quite understand it except others who are now motherless. Or the death of a child, who, who can really connect with that and understand that, but others who have lost a child. And so that shared story is so profound, especially in the more traumatic types of loss. I also strongly encourage clients to talk about their grief whenever, wherever, with whomever will listen, say their names. I talk about Scott a lot, ad nauseum. And if somebody doesn't want to hear about him, tough. He is, <laughs> he is, he is the most significant event of my entire life. I was with him longer uh, than I was without him. And so that's a big this is my story. So I'm going to talk about him when I need to. I talk about him with my kids and they talk about him with me. We re reminisce, we remember, but, but for those who don't, haven't been through it and don't know quite how to be supportive of somebody who's grieving, say the name of the person who's gone. Just, yes. just say their name, bring it up, ask, what do you miss most about your mom today? Uh, what was the favorite thing that your mom used to cook for you? What's what was the thing about your mom that made you crazy? Just throw the nuts. But to, to ask questions, to continue that conversation and bring them back to life again for that moment where they are being remembered. Um, so I've learned to talk about them. That's our first step towards uh, the goal of acceptance mm. of the loss. That is something we value so much in, in this show. Um, uh, episode we just dropped last week, you know, a girl found the love of her life it was a storybook romance within a year he was gone and uh we're like tell us about him tell us stories you know and um to uh what you said earlier we actually did have a mother who lost a two-year-old son um a month or a month two couple months ago and we said tell us about him let's celebrate yes. his life together yes. what lessons did he teach you in his short two yes. years on earth yes. and yeah. it's it's important to acknowledge that existence because for people who are still going through this they're, they're always going to carry the spirit of that person with them so to to act like or to say like you, you know your child or your significant other it's like no say them by name, you know, name. what what did your person you know tell us about them you yeah. know get it out there yeah oh. when i was presenting at another event and afterwards they had a like a dessert reception and and audience members were coming up to and the thing is when i speak about grief i start the conversation and then audience members come up and want to continue and complete the conversation, which makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so I usually will have a long line of people wanting to tell me about their own grief story. And this little old couple came up to me and uh, told me it was a lovely presentation and thank you. And then the wife asked her husband to go fetch the car and bring it around. And so he shuffled off to get the car. And as soon as he was out of earshot, which he was pretty deaf, so it didn't take long. Um, <laughs> she reached and took my hand into her hands and held my hand and said, April 8th, 1952, my fiance was killed in a car crash. And my parents told me I wasn't to talk about it or cry about it because I would find another husband. Mm -hmm. And she said every day, April 8th, or every year, April 8th is the hardest 
day of the year for me. And I said, wow. well, of course it was. It, it is because you weren't allowed to talk about it. And it wasn't just you wasn't allowed to talk about him. She wasn't allowed to process all of the other losses associated with that. She lost the wedding ceremony and the reception and the honeymoon, you know, the wedding night and the babies and the, new, the house and the marriage. She lost the all of this. And she wasn't allowed to talk about it with anybody. And the fact that she asked her husband to go fetch the car before she even told me signals that maybe she's still not able to talk about it. But this That's is exactly a, what I was thinking. A buried grief for this whole time. And so uh, I cannot preach strongly enough the importance of talking about your loss and whether it's with one trusted friend who's patient to hear it over and over again, or if it's a support group, it's really important that we tell our stories. Yeah, that that's is. really beautiful advice. I mean, like we touch on this, but um, having you be able to really put it into context and and, and explain, um, you know, why it's so important. Um, I mean, we know it's important, but like, you know, this I think really kind of shows how truly, truly important it is, and for people. Um, when you when you're helping other people through their grief, it's great advice to know. Hey, make sure you say that person's name. Don't be afraid of that because that's exactly what the person needs from you um, in in supporting them. So yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, and I think even too like with with something significant as losing someone, you know, with you with your husband or this lady with her fiance, you know, it's it's very hard. I mean. I don't know. I'm not going to try to speculate where your mind is. If you ever even want to date again, I'm looking at what my experience was with, with my dad, my stepdad, my mom and him were together for, I think, 12 years total before she passed. And when I asked him like, dad, Hey, if you want to date again, I'm fine with it. He's like, he says, it's like when you've had the best T-bone steak, you can't settle for a hamburger anymore. And that's what he always said. And that might be his way. I don't know his process, but I mean, um, you know, there's a complex uh, relationship with somebody when you're dating somebody who was married to somebody else and they died or somebody who they loved, who they had to lose or give up in, in, through, through death. Yeah. So I think there's a, you have to find somebody who's really understanding and accepting of that, that yeah. relationship. Well, and I think there's significant grief around divorce as well. And so even if you're 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 meeting and dating somebody who's divorced you both need to have space in your heart for the other person and not resent the relationship that existed or the good parts of that relationship the beautiful parts you want you want that person to have those the person you're dating to have the capacity of such deep love that you don't want to reject that in a new relationship and so i agree with you corey it's important if, if there's going to be a, a new relationship to find somebody who has space and the capa capacity to embrace and even love the person who's, who's gone, uh, even if that person is still alive and living down the street, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, too, because, because the person who you love now, their, their experiences in their life, the good and the bad that came from relationships before that, the spouse who may have died before that, the divorce they had before that, the person you love now is 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 a combination of all those experiences that made them right. into the person you want to spend your life with. Right. Yeah, and led them to you as well. Yes. Right. And my only my only caution is that 
um, you not move into a relationship too quickly. Yes. Uh, and, and that you do some of the hard work of reflection of what didn't go well and how do I prevent that from happening in my future relationships. Yes. And yes. so um, I'm really, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, he's another professor and he was, um, he married his junior high sweetheart. They, they started dating in junior high, all through high school, married during college and they were together for just so long. And she died of cancer and he got remarried very quickly after. And in conversation one day, I was like, so how, how, long, how long did you wait before you got remarried? And he said, let's see, it was too, too soon. It was way too soon. Uh, and I appreciated his honesty about that, that uh, if, if you're not, if you don't give yourself the space to really grieve, you're, you're more prone to trying to replace that person. And that's not fair to the new person yes. at all to be the replacement spouse, right? Absolutely. So that was what I was going to say. Did, did, did he feel like, you know, did it feel like that that was the situation with him? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> um, that's so interesting. Yeah. Another thing that um, I get a lot of questions about, and I, I don't know if you've had experiences with this, but it seems a little distressing for some is the dreams that people have after a loved one has died. Um, I had a, a friend who's, uh, so he's, my friend's son is in high school and his best friend died in an accident mm -hmm. and his best friend is coming to him in dreams. And, 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 um, Matt will say in his dream to his friend, Sam, Sam, I thought you, thought you died. And Sam will say, where'd you hear that? That didn't happen. And Matt will wake up oh. in, uh, in conflict. Like he'll wake up and he'll be really distressed because why did the dream was so realistic and yeah. he's seeing his friend who's not dead. Um, and there's a series of different kinds of dreams people will have about the deceased. And I just wanted to acknowledge that those are extremely normal. And often what's happening is your heart and your head haven't caught up with each other. So um, in your head, you know they're dead, but your heart has not yet reached that point of acceptance. That is not, they have, your heart hasn't reconciled that yet. And so your dream um, process kind of follow where it's going because it's telling you what you're still needing to deal with or process through. Wow. Right. So. That's so interesting. My, my dreams are always when, when they happen, they don't happen as much anymore. Well, they still kind of do, but mine is always like my mom is coming back. Like she's like, she was on a long vacation and I have to catch her up on everything in my life. And then usually in the dream, I'm crying because I'm like, oh, this happened and I needed you here for this. And where were you? And so it's interesting just to hear another version of that dream process. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, th this actually, this is so helpful. And, and so if I, if we're finding this helpful, I know our listeners are going to find it helpful because like, I definitely have dreams about my mother, the most out of everybody that's passed. And the biggest thing, like we fight and we didn't fight when, when she was alive, we never fought. And we fight so much in, in, in my dreams that I wake up just miserable and upset and distraught. But I think, yeah, you know, like I've tried to, to kind of decipher it on my own and, you know, be like, but I think I'm like, I'm, I'm mad that she's gone, you know, and I'm mad that she's missing things. And right, right. 
And for me with my mom at first, um, she was acting like this was all just a big ruse or a joke. And then pretty soon she would show up in my dreams and not recognize me. Oh. Or I would see her in a crowded, in a, in a crowd and I'd be yelling to her and she wouldn't turn around mm. um, and she just wouldn't mm. acknowledge. And it was a, it was kind of a severing of that connection that was really painful in my dream life. But then I would wake up and realize, but that's kind of what I'm going through is that she's, she's not here and I want her here and I feel her presence, but I can't seem to connect with her. And so um, that those dreams, I'm, I just wanted to affirm for your listeners, our listeners, that that is just so normal. Oh, thank you. But yeah, it makes sense that it's unresolved things. And, you know, like I, you know, like we had talked about earlier, um, sometimes we just, you know, don't really take the time to fully process our grief when the, when it initially happens. Um, some of us put up a wall or we just, you know, use work as a, as an outlet instead of processing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think maybe that's why these things continue and that's why therapy is so important. And, yeah. and I hear <laughs> and a lot of, about it. A, a lot of people telling me, I don't have time. I don't have time to process. I don't have time to grieve. I've got to work or whatever. But if you don't process it, it will come squirting out sideways. If you're dealing with your grief with unhealthy behaviors like drinking or overeating or um, gambling or retail therapy as a way of pushing it away, you're going to end up with two problems. You're going to have a problem of those behaviors, right? Your alcoholism and your loved one's still dead. And so um, the best practice is to carve out time at least once a week where you allow yourself the space to sit with it, to feel all the feels, do the therapy or go to the support group, but do something to allow yourself time and space so that when those ambushes come through the rest of the week, you can say, got it. I'm going to deal with that on Thursday night at grief group or got, I'm going to work through that in therapy on Friday afternoon. But you carve out that time, you allow that space to, where the grief can actually happen. You know, you, you mentioned earlier um, about Scott and how you are, you know, helping your children, right? Because it's, I, I really feel for parents um, when you are going through your own loss and then you have to manage the loss for your children as well. Um, what is what is one of the, the ways that you guys carve out time to to you know like I know you talk about them but is there any 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 other specific things that that you guys yeah. do to remember Scott and yeah we um are very intentional about the anniversaries not just the anniversary of his death but also his birthday um we maintain some of the traditions around the holidays that he loved um we will eat at some of his favorite restaurants, um, cook his favorite meals. Um, he's a big eater. He was a, he was a big guy. He was a big eater. He loved food. He loved to cook. Um, my son has intentionally manifested some of his dad's interests and traits as a way of working through his own grief. So he, he has now, my son does all of our grocery shopping and he loves to do a lot of the cooking. He's 17. Um, so he's kind of, I've made it sure that he, he's not in charge of being the man of the house. And I, I made it very clear 
you are still a boy and you need you need to do all of the boy right. things but um he said he, he wants to be you know these are the things that he celebrates about himself that are like his dad and oh. um yeah we we are very purposeful about celebrating moments with Scott even though he's not here and uh, more often though they are open to just I'll get a text you know one's upstairs one's downstairs and I'll get a text from one of them saying I'm missing daddy right now and I drop everything and I go and I find them and we sit there and we sit with it until it lifts and um I learned from my son when he he was 12 when Scott was diagnosed with cancer and it was a four month, four and a half month from diagnosis to death. So it went wow. so fast. So my son was really young. And at one point I was walking through the kitchen or through the living room on my way to the kitchen and he's sitting in the living room crying. And I, I said, Are you, is everything okay? And he said, I'm missing daddy. And I said, what can I do? You want, do you want to go play putt-putt? You want to go to the movies? You want to get some ice cream? What can I do to help? And he said, how about you just let me sit with it until it goes away and then I'll feel better and then we can go get ice cream and I was like okay but it was a really great lesson that we wow. didn't have to fix it we didn't have to flee from it we didn't have to I didn't find have to find a solution because frankly there is no solution yeah. in grief there are some things we can do but we can't bring them back and so we do need to just sit with it and that's one of the best things we can do for somebody we love who's grieving is sit with them sit with and them. then be open to hearing and saying their name. Yes. Don't mind me. <laughs> but I just, that was so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and, and, and a really good lesson and, and just seeing what a, a wonderful parent you are and Scott was that, that your son knew to react that way yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean I mean yeah and to be able to tolerate the the difficult emotions and I think that's a that's a skill we could all learn right yeah there are adults who don't have who don't have that capacity you know so it's oh, yeah it's a, I mean it sounds like you're sure. raising your kids to be really mindful of their emotions which I think every person should be doing and yeah. Um, I'm lucky enough. I married a, a teacher, so there's some school psychology in there. Who <laughs> we we give our we give our son room, and this is not grief related, but we give him room to to feel what he needs to. If he's upset, he can you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody or destroying stuff, you know, like feel what you need to. You can go punch a pillow. You can scream in our faces if you need to. It's fine. Yeah. You know, we, we let yeah. him do what he needs to. So yeah, it's a form of literacy, absolutely, emotional literacy. Yeah. I, I oh, I like so that. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been such a profound conversation yeah. and, and, you know, so grateful to you um, for coming on and, and sharing like really solid, um, you know, doctor backed <laughs> knowledge, <laughs> not just uh, Jamie and Corey, uh, you know, trial and error. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you know, revelations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so the way we, we usually end um, every episode is we ask our guests to complete the phrase grief is. It can be a word, it can be a sentence, however you want to um, complete it. But okay. yeah, grief is. <laughs> grief is best managed with gratitude, mm. with good humor, 
levity. I love that. That's so good. Oh, thank you so much. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so before we go, uh, do you want to share anything else about what you've got going on? And um, yeah. we definitely will share the link to your book uh, yeah. in, in, in the episode. Yeah, that would be great. Description and, yeah. and Navigating Grief with Humor is the book. I am, I am teaching a course, but I think by the time this drops, registration will be closed. So Oh, got um, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, the book is available on Amazon, so. Yeah, I'm super excited to read it. I, um, I, I, Corey and I talk about this all the time. We definitely are the type to, to inject humor into, into sadness. It's, it is a, I think it's a fantastic, healthy coping mechanism. And, um, so, you know, super excited dark, about dark that. Dark humor all the way over here. We're absolutely um, the darker, the better Corey. My, <laughs> my family, uh, we will be at the funeral home of a relative who's died in the if everyone's at the front crying we're in the back laughing making jokes um that's just my weird family dynamic and i love it so much but um, it's it's all about it Same. yep yep and um one last thing i just want to encourage people um that you don't have to be funny to use humor in your grief you can locate humor elsewhere uh, a friend of mine her three sons were killed in a car crash and the two youngest sons were uh, sur were not in the car at the time, and so they were survivors. And every night, my friend would put on sitcoms right before bed, so the boys, her two remaining boys, could just laugh at something so that they could sleep that night. And I thought, I think that is just such a great lesson that we can use humor in our grief, whether we're naturally funny or not, we can use it as a way uh, to help self-soothe and to tolerate the harder times of our grief. All right, I'll done pre I'm done preaching. I'm done no, preaching. No, this is, I like, I'm so grateful. And yeah. <laughs> no, it's you, this has been really just an incredible, incredible conversation. And thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Corey. I really enjoyed our, our conversation. Likewise. And we'll definitely, um, if you're okay with it, we'd love to share your TikTok as well. Yes, please. Please, absolutely. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Um, and everyone, thank you for listening to today's episode. Um, we're, we're always appreciative when you guys hang out with us for, for a few hours in the day or the week or whatever it is, but um, we'll talk Ain't to you later. Ain't that the truth. Bye, everyone. Thank you.